bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Wedling, Editor-in-Chief of Bits and Pretzels, and I welcome you to a new episode of the Bits and Pretzels podcast. Today on the show, we are having a deeper look inside the master plan for a new 170 million euros fund set up by a group of prominent German tech entrepreneurs and focusing on deep tech. Our guest is one of the heads of the new Germany Silicon Valley-based firm called 468 Capital. Florian Leibert, an entrepreneur turned investor, who you might know as the co-founder of California-based cloud container company Mesosphere and who used to work at Airbnb and Twitter in Silicon Valley. In our conversation, he's sharing a rare glimpse into what he and his two partners, the former Rocket Internet executives Alexander Kutlich and Ludwig Enstaller, are up to with 468 Capital. How the team secured the Million Euros Fund to bridge the innovation gap between Europe and the US over the last couple of months, despite the economic uncertainty caused by the COVID-19 crisis. And why he thinks the time to act for European tech founders is right now. There's never been a better time, I think, to start a tech company in Europe. And for you, dear listeners, we are offering a special today. Florian is joining our Bits and Pretzels Networking Week from September 27th to October 2nd. And we are giving away an extra meet and greet workshop with Flo to two of our listeners who buy their ticket today. So better hurry up. Hi, Flo. Thanks so much for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. Thank you for having me. So good to see you. So obviously we go back a long time. I remember when we first met, it was like ages ago when I came, like even before I first came to work in, in San Francisco, you and Toby just left Airbnb and started working on your cloud company, Mesosphere at the time. I think it must be at least seven years. Yeah, I think it was 2013. I think I even celebrated my birthday in California. I remember that. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. It was really fun. <laughs> it was a cool party. Yeah. So much has happened since then. I'm back in Germany and you left Mises, which today is called D2IQ and became you became an investor. And this is what we want to talk about uh, today. Your evolution as an entrepreneur from an engineer to an investor and what you have learned on the way in Silicon Valley and also what you're looking for as an investor right now. So obviously, you started a new fund, focuses on deep tech. So, so talk about why you came up with the idea and what specific targets you are looking for. Yeah, the focus of our fund is to help European and, and US companies pre-seed, seed and Series A to become global players. And you're obviously focusing on deep tech. Which is like the hard stuff, right? AI, uh, space, quantum computing, open source technology, which is probably, you know, your focus. So talk about why you made this choice and what you are hoping to achieve uh, there. Yeah, so I think in the past 10 years, Europe has seen a number of really awesome startups mature, but many of them weren't really deep tech startups. A lot of them were marketplaces, traditional marketplace models. And I think the time is ripe now for deep tech to become really big in Europe. And that's a big focus of the fund. We also have a few other 
companies, of course, that we've been backing that are, that are very promising and that might not all fall into deep tech, but the general focus is deep tech. You see this blossom of deep tech companies, deep tech funds uh, everywhere, right? Everybody's talking about these new technologies. What, what do you think from your perspective as somebody who was working in the tech industry for over 10 years, you know, first at Twitter, then in Airbnb, then, you know, starting your own company now running your own venture fund. What has happened in the underlying technology that led the way to this blossom of deep tech right now? So I think there are a couple of factors. It's not a single thing, but one is capital, right? Available capital and geographically available capital. Number two, it's now we're actually really used to working with remote teams, right? That has really been accelerated even further with, with uh, through COVID. The last part is that I think we are seeing a lot of open source companies. So companies that are um, creating technology, which is available to anybody. And that has become another foundation for yeah, really, this this wildfire of new technologies being accessible anywhere. You raised your fund with Alexander Kutlich and Ludwig Enstaler, who have both been with Rocket Internet for many years. How did you guys meet and how did you come up with the idea to start your own fund? Yeah, so I've met both of them actually a very long time ago. I think when you work in tech, you meet a lot of people that also work and invest in tech. And uh, at the end of the day, the list of folks that are that actually you can imagine starting a company with right a fund as a company is pretty short right so um and we've co-invested in a few companies together and then at some point uh, we really felt like we could collaborate really well together we had very different backgrounds but um yeah with rocket rocket is obviously a very special background certainly i mean they've also incubated some really, really large companies, right? I mean, and, and uh, uh, HelloFresh and a couple so, of other players. Yeah, Zalando. Have, yeah, uh, I mean, great companies, which are now the backbone of the European ecosystem uh, in, in entrepreneurship. And we've met, we decided uh, we had really good chemistry and uh, those both of those guys are, are really, really great to work with. And uh, we learn a lot from each other. And that's, I think, the most important thing, right? And that's uh, when we realized that, we decided let's uh, really help the European venture ecosystem by bringing technology, technology focus in and by actually having two great investors who have a really good investment track record. And that was the rationale behind us combining to form 468. Yeah. When you uh, start a company, you obviously have people with different specialties, Right. You have like somebody who's probably very good in engineering, somebody who's like more like the leader CEO person, uh, somebody who's doing HR, somebody's doing PR marketing. How would you describe the roles that you guys have in this new fund? Yeah, so I think it's uh, pretty straightforward the way we divide and conquer, so to speak. Um, so I focus a lot on the technology investments. And Alexander and Ludwig focus uh, a lot on marketplaces, on SaaS applications, next generation work and productivity tools, um, things like that. And uh, that's that's how we split it up. And I think uh, that works really well. Because your background obviously is in open source technology and engineering. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've worked in engineering for 15 plus years. So um, it's been a great journey. And uh, I hope to bring some of those learnings to the companies that we invest in. You've also raised money from some internet entrepreneurs, including Florian Schwantner, who was like the was the founder of Runtastic and also of Felix Haas, who was, you know, for full transparency, uh, the chairman of Bits and Pretzels. How did you convince these and other guys, you think like some family offices are also part of this, uh, to join you? 
Yeah, so the majority of our, our investors are really professionally run family offices. And uh, we were fortunate to get introduced to some really great entrepreneurs who have been very successful in Europe and uh, who we can now count as our backers. And I think it's been fantastic to work with them. I mean, the two that you mentioned have been have been super successful. I mean, Florian had sold Runtastic to Adidas and is now involved in, in another company that we're Called backing. Attractive. Yeah, yes, exactly. Right. And uh, yeah, so, so we have a few um, of those entrepreneurs. And besides that, we don't really talk too much about our LPs. Yeah. Right. So, so what was your pitch? Like, what do you want to do differently to other deep tech funds? I mean, there's Vito Ventures, for example, here in Munich. So how do you differentiate yourself as a fund? So, so, first, I th so first, I think it's uh, overall for the ecosystem, it's great to have a number of different funds to have more capital. As, I mean, helps uh, also for follow-on investments. I mean, a company doesn't just raise one round of financing, right? Uh, oftentimes you raise many, many rounds. And so it's great to have more capital available. But um, how do we differentiate ourselves? Well, I think we are one of the few funds in Europe that really has a very um, unique GP setup, right? Where the three of us really have different backgrounds. I, for myself, try to bring the tech angle and uh, not just as an engineer, but also as an entrepreneur in, in technology. So um, I think that's part of the differentiation. And the way we, we use this um, is that we we believe that we can make pretty good decisions about what, what are viable companies to invest in, what are viable technologies to turn into products. And um, that's one part of it. And the other part is that we, from from the get-go, were a fund that is uh, dual-homed, right? We have one part of our headquarters is based in San Francisco and the other headquarters in Berlin. And so uh, we can really connect our entrepreneurs in Europe with uh, follow-on investors in Silicon Valley. We can introduce them to uh, to the big tech companies for partnerships. Uh, we can help them with the American market and uh, make introductions to large customers, for example, and uh, vice versa. For, for companies based out of the US, we can actually introduce them to German partners, uh, to German companies that are uh, and, and European companies that might become customers of theirs. And for a lot of tech companies, actually, Europe is a very, very important market, especially especially with what's going on with China and the US right now. I think Europe is going to become even more important. For You mean many. like the political debate and this, you know, closing up, raising walls between these two markets? Yes, exactly. I think I think we're, we're already seeing um, kind of like an app stack that is, uh, has been Uh, that, that's basically uh, a competing app stack uh, between the Eastern world and the Western world, right? And I think um, this is going to, uh, it's going to actually accelerate and we'll see also in the, in the infrastructure space, a similar divide. And we'll see companies that provide infrastructure, uh, maybe even to the chip level where, where Intel won't be used in China anymore, right? Yeah. And where they might actually uh, use ARM or other alternatives. Right. And, and you have this 5G yeah. debate as well, right? Exactly. Like with Huawei and, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a big discussion. Right exactly. Now. I think, I think like, I think TikTok and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, WeChat are just the tip of the iceberg. I think we'll see more of that Uh, if, if the trend continues. I wanted to come back to something that you said earlier about, you know, bringing people over to Silicon Valley, connecting them with Silicon Valley companies or investors, and also, you know, trying to bring more American companies to the European market. What direction is more popular right now? Do pe more people go 
like still go to Silicon Valley because I think this is like the natural path for their career? Or do you see more people coming back to Europe? I think it's neither. I think, I mean, I think there's a, there's no clear trend. I think it's some companies, for some companies, it's uh, it's it makes a lot of sense to actually create, for example, a sales and marketing operation in the US, even though they might have engineering in Germany, where uh, the cost of engineering is, is lower because the cost of living is lower. Um, and and the other trend, of course, is that, again, remote has been, uh, remote work has become uh, very acceptable and, and uh, much easier to work with in the than in the past because of all the tools that have evolved. Um, so I think uh, I think it's it's now more about a preference where and and and, and probably the legacy where you where you started out uh, and it doesn't it's no longer required for a company to go into a certain place um, to to sell products there. What kind of investment did you already do? I think something in the green tech market already. Yeah, one of the pillars of of our investment uh, thesis is to invest in companies that uh, that help the planet right that uh, that are good for like the environment planetly, I guess is planetly one of is one of them of right? course yeah. yeah and I mean our, our rationale there is that this will be a big big market opportunity maybe it's, we're going to have to solve uh, the problem of climate change and um, we're, we're going to end up spending a lot of money on that and I think um, that might be a bigger market than anything we've seen before, because once it becomes a really pressing problem, I mean, it's already a problem in many places, but once once we feel it even further, we'll have to react more. And the longer we wait, obviously, the more expensive it will be and not just ex more expensive, but more problematic. It also will be in uh, it will it will involve a lot more suffering, of course. So um, we, we try to invest in in companies that uh, that that really that change the world for the better, but do so th through business, right? And um, uh, Planetly is a, a company that allows you to um, offset uh, the the your, your CO2 output in, as a company, right? Like, so it's a B2B marketplace yeah. for, for uh, CO2 offsetting. And Planetly is also coming to Bits and Pretzels Networking Week, just to let the audience know if you want to learn more. Okay, so this is obviously one of the huge topics that you're kind of focusing on yes, right now. Yes, yeah. And I mean, in the end, there will also be technology companies that are going to be created that uh, we also want to back that are solving uh, other aspects of, of, um, yeah, of, of um, for example, plastic pollution, etc. What kind of entrepreneurs are you looking for? If I'm an entrepreneur, I'm listening to this podcast now and I want to get in touch. What do I have to bring to the table to get an investment from you guys? So I think, I mean, the most important thing is, of course, to have a great idea, a really, a really big market. Uh, but what we specifically look for is someone who has global ambition. So we are not trying to just find uh, a topic that just solves a particular problem for the German market. In general, we, we are looking for global plays. And uh, that's really important. Um, and then, of course, the team. I mean, the team matters, right? Like, especially um, in, in, I mean, not not only in early stages, it always matters a lot uh, to have the right people solving these hard problems. Any, any specific technology that you are interested in right now? Um, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there has been a lot of hype around machine learning, but we're now seeing that it's being used to solve very specific 
uh, needs for for industry, right? So, for example, um, when when you look at factories and production lines, I mean, there's a lot of room for for um, uh, for optimization and and uh, making the workplace safer. So we invest a lot into into uh, those sort of topics. When you decided to go to Silicon Valley, was was for a specific reason, right? You thought you might find your future in Silicon yeah. Valley because there was obviously not much there in Germany or in Europe. How do you look at what's there in terms of ecosystem, digital ecosystem, entrepreneurship, venture capital right now in Europe? And what has changed? So when we started uh, Mesosphere in 2013, there was not as much venture capital available in Europe back then. I mean, that has been steadily growing ever since. And um, also, I think that Back then, there were very few, there were very few investors who were willing to actually back an idea where you don't really have a commercialization strategy just yet. You might have a couple that that you're thinking of, but back then uh, it was the early days really of of open source um, uh, commercialization. And uh, I think today uh, with a com with companies that are very very proven, for example. MongoDB, which is a database company for the kind of modern application stack, uh, they've they've surpassed 10 billion in, in market cap. So uh, that's a company that has actually built a product based on uh, an open source foundation, and uh, that's just one example. There are uh, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of companies uh, that are very very successful in commercializing open source products, and so so that has changed. And of course, what that has done is it has actually um, made many uh, VC funds excited about about these sort of companies. And so we're seeing many of them getting now funded in Europe as well. So do you see like a renaissance in of European tech companies? I think uh, that it's right now probably the the uh, and, and uh, that's going to even increase further. I think it's it's the best time and there's never been a better time, I think, to to um, start a tech company in Europe. Before we go on, here's a brief message from us. For our listeners, we are offering a special today. Florian is joining our Bits and Pretzels Networking Week from September 27th to October 2nd. And we are giving away a meet and greet workshop with Flo to two of our listeners who buy the ticket today. And if you want to learn more about our program with insights and business advice of the top of the league of the international founder and VC community, and get your ticket before it's too late and we are sold out, go to bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com. Tickets are limited, so better hurry up. So now we are moving over to our beer garden break because we're obviously a conference from Bavaria. So... Um, Part of this podcast is always that we, you know, get our beer steins here uh, and get ourselves a beer. We have to think a little bit about what are we drinking to? The end of Corona, hopefully, a new vaccine. <laughs> okay, I drink to that. Cheers. If you if you could have a beer at Oktoberfest with any person, dead or alive, who would it be? Ernest Hemingway. Oh, interesting. Interesting choice. Why would you choose him? Uh, the Sun Also Rises is one of my favorite books. Uh, so obviously what makes you special as an investor is that you have this huge background as an entrepreneur, right? Who raised, um, I think, quarter of a billion with Mesosphere. So how did this 
influenced your view as an investor? So I think in general, I, I, I believe that investors add very little value, right? I think um, if, you're, if you're flying by a company at 30,000 feet, you are not going to be uh, thinking about the problems every day to the extent that the whole team of the company is thinking about it. Um, yet, I think sometimes you're seeing trends um, and Uh, but but I think like a lot of a lot of folks think that investors can actually add a ton of value. I think uh, invest the primary role of an investor is to to give someone capital. That's the number. That's the number one goal. And then I mean, hopefully you can tell people a little little bit about your learnings, and they can avoid some of the mistakes that uh, you might have made as an investor what, what, uh, as, what, as an entrepreneur. Before what what being mistakes an did you make yourself? Oh, I mean, there's too many to to name right here. I mean, like I think uh, uh, when when you're starting a company, I think if you knew how hard it was, right, you probably would never start it, right? I think that's in many cases the uh, true. And what's the hardest thing about starting a company? Well, sure. <laughs> the hardest thing about starting a company is to really hire great people and retain them. I think. Uh, at least for for us, that was really really important, given um, the competitive landscape we were in, right? Competing with really Google Cloud and and AWS uh, in in many ways, and so um, and hiring the wrong the wrong team uh, is probably the death sentence for for a company. You started this company with one of your best friends from school. Uh, you know each other for like like forever, right? You started your first business while you were still in school uh, selling computer games. Does it help to start a company with a close friend? I think it's a big advantage because the most important thing about uh, a company and about a team is communication. And I think you can get rid of a lot of ambiguity if you know the other person really well and you can even read them if they don't have to speak, right? I mean, I think that's definitely a competitive advantage mm -hmm. know the people that you are working with right? absolutely yeah. yeah when you think about other entrepreneurs what other things do you find interesting or do you want to see in an entrepreneur you want to invest in in terms of you know the way the company is shaped the way the business runs so, so talk a little bit about the things that you find important for entrepreneurs so i think uh, there are a number of tools in which you can organize uh, your your um your goals of course and i think What, what we always did um, with Mesosphere, which I found to be very, very helpful, was to really think about uh, every, every product release or every milestone and uh, really, uh, when, when you first come up with it, uh, right, uh, I mean, I think Amazon has really uh, come, come up with this idea, but uh, to come up with a press release, essentially, right, uh, where you basically outline the high-level goals of what, what would you want to have the headline be and what, what's, what are the couple of paragraphs that, decide, that um, describe what you're accomplishing, and then really work backwards and then try to map that into, into small, tiny um, goals, milestones uh, that you can hit on the way. So um, then that, that goes... Uh, that uh, that goes really back to revenue. That goes back to hiring. That goes back to um, uh, every every other operational uh, fu function of the company, not just product-related things. You mentioned that you had to fight, you know, with the big tech companies, or that you had to survive, you know, in the market with these big competitors. How do you survive 
in the tech world? What's important in terms of, you know, how your team is shaped, how your product is shaped, how you think about the whole issue as an entrepreneur? So I think if a, if a market is really, really massive, people will go after that market. You won't be the only company in that market. Now, uh, in many markets, the market is growing so fast and is so big that there's room for for uh, other players, right? And um, I think in the cloud market, for example, it's still growing north of 20% compounded annual growth. Um, and it's a, it's a market where the top two companies uh, make each quarter more than 10 billion US dollars. So, I mean, it's a, it's a massive, massive market. So there's a lot of room for, for innovation. And I think that uh, some of the big companies actually have a really hard time um, adjusting um, to small changes in the market, right? Because they're huge companies, huge teams. And um, I think when you build a company, you realize that early on things get done very, very quickly. And as the company grows, it tends to, things tend to move much slower, right? It's a bigger ship to navigate. And, And so, so I think like the most important thing is just to keep that in mind and not be, uh, not be always afraid of of the competition. How do you look at the innovative landscape right now? You mentioned like the big tech companies, and I think in Europe specifically and in Germany, there's a huge debate around whether these companies are still the enablers for innovation or like the inhibitors of innovation. Talking about Amazon, uh, for example, or Google or Facebook, uh, there's a huge debate around whether Facebook to be broken up, not talking about this specific idea of breaking up companies, but generally, are these big tech companies still the enablers or are the inhibitors of growth and innovation in the startup world? I think, you, I think you can look at it both ways, right? I think there are certainly areas in which these companies do enable a larger ecosystem. And uh, I mean, really, because of Amazon, now anybody can, can start a, a tech company. You don't, have to, you don't have to buy servers. You don't have to... Uh, to rent space and, and install them and all of that, right? I mean, they've really, um, they've really accelerated innovation and now it's easier than ever to start a company because of that. But uh, on the flip side, of course, uh, we don't have uh, sovereignty over, over, over our data anymore. And these companies are so big and have such, get such discounts when they purchase that competition is, is really, really uh, It's, it's basically impossible on a, on a, on a uh, I mean, the, the idea of, exa of exactly rebuilding what Amazon has done is, uh, with, with Amazon Web Services, is, I think, is a futile effort. I think that's, uh, that's not going to happen. But I think what can happen is you can still compete with these companies when, uh, on, on the layers above what they've built, right? Because they create ecosystems and then uh, whatever, whatever is stacked on top, you can actually compete and come up with your own things. And I think it's... Uh, But I do think that, especially um, in Europe, I think regulation is important, that uh, they can't abuse their, uh, their position and, for example, say, hey, uh, we're not going to allow business X to run on our, on our platform because they might actually uh, compete with something we want to build there. I mean, I think, I think regulation has its place, and I think it's, uh, uh, especially when it comes to companies that have su such a monopoly. Right. During your career, you made decisions of when you had to move to the next thing, right? You, you started, I think you started at Twitter, yeah. right? Then you came to Airbnb, then Mesosphere now as an investor. How did you make the decision about the right time to do the next thing? Specifically, you stepped down as CEO, right, of Mesosphere. What was your thinking behind this and what can other entrepreneurs learn from when it's the right time to move to the next thing? For me, it's, it's been really about gut feel oftentimes, right? So uh, it just felt 
like the right thing to do. For example, when I decided to move over from Twitter to Airbnb, um, I had really completed a number of projects there. And Are they still using your code uh, at Twitter? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because it was basically the basic for what you then built, like this open source technology that you used uh, for, for your next company, uh, Mesosphere. But we talk about, you know, how you made these iterations. You said gut feeling is one part. Uh, you know, explain that. So I think um, when when I completed a number of projects over at Twitter, um, I was presented with the opportunity of Airbnb, right? And uh, that was because one of my uh, best friends was working there. And I saw I saw the numbers and I um, saw the, the problems that they had. And uh, it really it really sounded like a great opportunity, like a great match for um, for the skills that I had at the time. And um, I, th I thought that it's a really, really exciting company to work for. And so um, uh, I, had, I had worked at the time almost two years at Twitter. Um, and then I decided that Airbnb is the next, uh, the next uh, move in, in uh, my career. And I was really excited about that opportunity. And then I, um, I think after, uh, after Airbnb or during my tenure at Airbnb, I decided um, that what we were building there for just one company, we could now build for anybody. And that was the rationale for starting Mesosphere and for, uh, for becoming an entrepreneur. And um, with Mesosphere, we've, uh, we, I saw, uh, I learned how, how the whole investment landscape works. I, um, I started to angel invest and uh, became really passionate about helping, um, helping entrepreneurs uh, trying to make a little bit of a difference in, in Europe and in the tech landscape in Europe. And um, uh, that's when uh, the stars aligned and uh, uh, Ludwig Alexander and I uh, started talking about uh, the potential of starting a fund together. So uh, it, the, timing just, the timing just, again, was right for that. If you could start another company, would you do it? I mean, an investment fund is, is a company. It's a company. Okay, yeah. right. Fair enough. Uh, what's the company that you wish you had founded? So I think one of the mega trends that we're seeing right now is that um, people are automating uh, tasks, right? That are mundane tasks that you do when you work in front of a laptop all day. So the RPA or IPA space, right, it's called. And I think... Um, Over the next five to 10 years, we will see massive companies emerge in this space. I mean, there are already a couple of companies, but I think this space will be uh, will be as big or maybe even bigger than even the cloud space. And so um, uh, I think I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that's that's a space where we also want to back companies and help them uh, fulfill this vision of more automation and, and um, yeah, more uh, Freeing, freeing users of these mundane tasks and, and allowing them to get back more creative time. Is there anything that you regret, like from your career, anything that you would have done differently? I mean, it, it, it's not as much of a mistake that comes to mind right away, but there was this, um, this one saying, uh, and I think, I think it's become a little bit of a mantra over the last couple of years for me. It's when you, when you start a company, um, Nothing is ever as good as it seems, right? You, you celebrate a big win, but two weeks later, like your financing round is closed and now you have to actually uh, 
deliver results again. Uh, and nothing ever is as bad as it seems, right? So it, it just feels like that because oftentimes as an entrepreneur, you're somewhat, you're, some, you're, you're the one responsible, you can't complain to your manager, right? So, um, <laughs> so I think like keeping that in mind, this, this gives you some perspective and it allows you to actually make better decisions. And I think, um, I think that's the that's the one thing I wished I would have thought about from day one. It probably would have uh, 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 would have really prevented a few sleepless nights I had. Anything that you've learned from your own experiences as an entrepreneur with investors that you want to do differently as an investor yourself? And now being more generous, don't put so much pressure on the company. Anything that you experienced that you would find helpful? I think it's important to remember that as an investor, you invest capital. And as a as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're building a vision or you're making a vision come true. So I think... Um, And that I think if if you're really if you make sure that those roles are very clear, I think you you can uh, you can work very well as a team together and, and team up with your investor. Do you think many investors overstep their role? I mean, we've certainly had some of our investors who tried to do that uh, definitely, and I think uh, that's pretty bad for the relationship between entrepreneur and investor. Right. You have a son now. Uh, Leo, who is how old again? He's nine months old. Nine, how did this, you know, change your perspective on everything else that you do? Uh, well, I think I think like when when you have a child, you all of a sudden are no longer in the hierarchy, the most important thing. For you, right? <laughs> you're all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your your child or children are, and I think I think that alone gives you a lot of perspective, and um, it's one of the most amazing things to see. I think uh, because of COVID, I was actually able to be at home for uh, and work from home and see a lot of the development. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's really something that you can't describe to someone who's not, not had it. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, it's really, uh, it gives you so much energy. Coming to our toolbox right now, which is a box where our guests give tools they have for other entrepreneurs. And now we have the toolbox with Florian Leibert. What are your tools? Number one. So one, one of the things I think that's super important is to come up with your next milestone and describe it. I mentioned this earlier, kind of a press release and then work backwards. I think that's one of the most important things. It gives everybody kind of tactical plan on how to get to the next milestone. Number two. The other one is related, but it's more strategic. It's about really defining your mission and vision for the company and obviously modifying it as the market changes, as your products change, but being really clear about them and most importantly, like repeating them over and over again, because I think uh, as entrepreneurs, we often forget that there are people who have just joined your journey. And while you have maybe told folks about your vision and mission a hundred times, the person who just joined has not heard it and doesn't know what the marching order for the company, so to speak, are. Coming to our either-or game right now, which is our game where I give you two words. Uh, you choose one and explain really quick why you made that choice. And the first one is bits or pretzels. Bits. Well, because... 468 actually um, uh, has uh, is based on the binary uh, notation of uh, our, our investment focus, which is we invest in the early stages. So zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to 100. So if you spell it out in, in binary, zero, one, 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 zero, one, zero, one, zero, zero. And you convert that into, into decimal, it's uh, 468. That brings me to my next question. Nerd or extrovert? Nerd. <laughs> of 
<laughs> no explanation needed. California or Bavaria, which is, I think, a tough one because I even have decided that yet. So, but how is it for you? California for the landscape, Bavaria for the um, people. Biking or hiking? Are you guys still biking together? Yeah, we... Toby we, and you, because yeah. this is what you used to do uh, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, so he has started to take um, mountain biking now. So um, I've been I've been uh, still road biking mostly. Numbers or ideas? Um, numbers. So I think I think ideas are great, but in, in order to implement them, you need concrete goals and, and hit your numbers. Chaos or order? Chaos. Um, you need a you need a little bit of chaos in order to be super creative. I think. Transition or tradition? Tradition. I really I really like it here in Bavaria. <laughs> <laughs> Conquer or compromise? Conquer. It allows you to really uh, go for bigger ideas and go for bigger markets. Florian Leiber, thanks for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. Thank you so much, Britta. It was a pleasure to be here. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You find all episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Spread the word and please tell at least five friends about us. We would really appreciate it. Don't ever miss breaking startup news from Munich, Austria, and Switzerland again. And learn the latest about what top founders and VCs from the international innovation community we have in store for our event in the fall. Come and visit us at bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com. Stay safe and see you next week. Thank you.